It is the duty of the free man to resist tyranny at every turn. Every man will either watch his freedom stripped away or take action to protect what he loves. Introducing the A3, the newest revolutionary body armor from Armored Republic. The A3 is the new standard for lightweight multi-hit body armor. A3 plates are incredibly light at 4.6 pounds. The patented design captures fragmentation while remaining multi-hit capable. The A3 will stop up to M80 ball, yet comes in at only 0.7 inches thick. The A3 is the thinnest NIJ.06 compliant or certified composite standalone plate that includes the drop test. The A3 is the first of its kind, patent pending, that combines an alloy strike face with polyethylene backing, revolutionizing body armor technology by providing strength and durability while remaining sleek and maneuverable. The A3 is the new standard in lightweight body armor. The fight against tyranny just got stronger. Hey y'all, welcome to Cross Politic on the Fight Lab Feast Network. Pastor Toby, no chalk knocks, which is why there's all sorts of problems happening in the studio. You just don't know about it because we can fix it. We're fixing it right now. Are we? Um, hopefully. <laughs> fix it in post. Fix it in post. And there's a really cool like reverb thing going on. Well, we're very uh, glad to uh, get into. We actually have a uh, uh, gentleman, um, Raymond uh, Ibrahim. Ibrahim coming on the show. Uh, I was actually at uh, Operation Save America uh, with him this summer. We actually never met each other. We crossed, never, probably never crossed paths. I came there a different day than he did. But uh, and of course, Knox is out of the studio. You actually can be praying for him. Him and his uh, son are down in Arizona getting kind of. Uh, his son's had concussion issues for about two years, and um, he's getting concussion therapy basically yeah. down in Arizona. So Knox will be coming. Uh, uh, as you saw yesterday, he'll be on the. He's going to be on the news shows with us, but not in some of the interviews this week and everything. So yeah. be praying for Knox and, and DJ Little Junior. That's right. This is the time of year where many of us are thinking about how we're going to pay our medical bills next year before <laughs> making a final decision. Take a look at healthcare sharing with Samaritan Ministries. As a Samaritan member, you're connected to 80,000 Christian households across the nation who stand ready to care for one another spiritually and financially when a medical need arises. Samaritan Ministries is affordable, and with no network restrictions, you're in control of your health care, choosing the doctors, hospitals, and treatments that are right for you. And with direct member-to-member -member sharing, you'll always know who your money is actually helping and that you're not supporting medical procedures that go against your Christian values. So get started today at SamaritanMinistries.org slash CrossPolitik. That's SamaritanMinistries.org slash CrossPolitik. We're very grateful to have with us, as Gabe mentioned, Raymond Ibrahim, a uh, widely published expert on the Middle East and Islam, is the distinguished senior uh, Shulman Fellow at the Gatestone Institute and the Judith Friedman Rosen Fellow at the Middle East Forum. He's the author of the new book, Defenders of the West, The Christian Heroes Who Stood Against Islam. Raymond, thank you for joining us on CrossPolitik. Good to be with you. I'm happy to be here today. Thanks. Absolutely. So you've been chronicling the persecution of Christians since around 2011. Um, and I just wanted to ask, you know, start by how did you get into this and and how bad is it really? Yeah, well, I got into it because um, I was writing about the topic of Islam. And, you know, my, my earliest writings go all the way back to about 2004 and five is when I started getting published. And it was mostly about Al-Qaeda 
Islamic terrorism and that sort of thing. Um, and then I started gravitating towards this, the topic of the uh, persecution of Christians, especially in the Islamic world. And it actually, I started doing that well before 2011. 2011, okay. I started producing a monthly report for the H. Stone Institute, which I still do till today. Yeah. But I started writing about this topic probably in 2007 and eight. Um, and, you know, it's kind of near and dear to me because I'm of, I'm from the middle, my family's from the Middle East and we're Christians, Coptic Christians from Egypt is where my family comes from. Okay. So, you know, I had the sort of professional academic interest in this topic because um, I studied history and I was writing about Islamic topics before 9-11. Um, you know, we, we talked about it but with Sir Davis Hanson and, and during that time in college. And so it was, I already had an interest in that topic in general, but then the Christian persecution was more of a personal thing because my own family, uh, including extended family, and just Christians in general throughout the Middle East are really experiencing persecution. So I gravitated towards that, specialized it. As far as how bad it is, it's, it's, it's you know, the media really shapes everything we not only believe, but what we are even allowed to talk about. Yeah. And when it comes to this particular topic, if, if they were very honest, this would be considered one of the probably most, um, it would be, I call it a pandemic. It's, it's a massive pandemic going on. Uh, depending on who you ask, there's a lot of human rights organizations that chronicle and document with a lot of data. And, you know, as of 2023, it's something like 350 million Christians around the world are experiencing persecution. Mm. And this kind of persecution is a sort that if it happens to someone other than a Christian, the media would be blasting the horn about it 24 right. seven. Right. Uh, but because it's just those pesky little Christians, it's completely blacked out. And, and, and when it gets really bad when there's a terrible attack, then it's, they, then they have to talk about it and they, and they have a whole arsenal of ways to just kind of get around it. Yeah. It's a product of terrorism. It's a product of, you know, Muslim grievances. And they've even added to their arsenal most recently, you know, climate change is what's driving Muslims into slaughtering Christians, <laughs> believe it or not. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Why so you- it's uh, so it's definitely a major thing that if let's put it this way, if Christians were doing this to Muslims, even five percent, this would be a massive daily story right. in the West on right. the media. Wow. But because Why- it's the opposite, it's completely suppressed and basically mm-hmm. canceled, as they say. Why do you think American journalists are so uh, um, suppressing this narrative of Muslim persecution towards Christians? I mean, there's so many different answers. One is just, I think there's a, an inbred sort of hatred for Christianity in the West. Um, it's pretty deep-seated, and sometimes it's uncommunicable and unintelligible, even for the hater to even understand it. But it's also, I think, um, journalists develop an instinct to understand what their masters, the people who pay them, yeah. want on the news. Yeah. And this is definitely not something that would fit in the narrative. This would be a complete wrench hurled into the narrative that they're constantly trying to create. Right. Okay. Which is usually that Christians are the bad guys or the hypocrites, whether it's historical or in the modern time and everyone else is the victim of Christianity. So when you find that it's the exact opposite uh, going on today. And, and I also find it interesting that, you know, there's a continuum here. So it's not just that it's happening today. I actually have traced out in my books, the historical aspect right. that this has been going on from day one both at the hands of Muslims and other hostile forces to Christianity. So in a way, you know, there's a deep continuity, which even makes it more uh, remarkable. But like I said, it's, uh, you know, it's completely hush-hush and, and any kind of, ex- it's always, you know, 
So, like I said, if, if, if this was, um, you know, a Christian or whatever doing it to a Muslim, they will just exaggerate it, make it even so much worse. The way you see when, you know, um, a, a white officer yeah. you know, shoots a, a black, uh, you know, uh, a criminal. Right. Okay. And then it's blown out of proportion. So they would do that. And they have done that. Sometimes when Christians even defend themselves, they're portrayed in that particular instance as the aggressors because they dare fight back. Yeah. Right. But then when you have the constant, what the real deal, what's really happening, that's completely, you know, suppressed and ignored. And like I told you, all sorts of ways of kind of rationalizing it. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it, many times, I think it's like another way that this is spun is with kind of the description that, um, you know, maybe, maybe uh, extremists um, yeah. per persecute Christians, but it's Muslim, Muslim extremists. No, just extremists. Okay. Yeah, that, that don't even use the word Muslim. It's just extremists. Hey, yeah, you're, yeah. You're such a bigot, Gabe. <laughs> you, yeah. Um, my, my bad. No, but that's my point. Is like, yeah. yes, like they're, they're Muslims, um, uh, and and they have a, a central doctrine called jihad, and and I and I'm and I'm just I'm, I'm wondering. I, I'm sure that you've explored this theme. It's it's um, is this um, is it just a small you know, sort of extremist faction of Islam that's interested in persecuting and annihilating Christians? Or is this actually um, essential uh, to the Islamic faith? Yeah, it's the latter. Um, basically, and you're touching on a very important point once again, which is, and it goes back to, you know, the powers that be, the media, academia, and how they completely distort it. Um, it there's nothing extreme for a Muslim to be hostile to, to hate, and to even attack, possibly kill a Christian, that is not extreme behavior, because this is prescribed behavior in right. the most normative scriptures of Islam, right. Quran and the Hadith, uh, which records the sayings and deeds of Muhammad, who Muslims assume is the most perfect of men. Yeah. So, you know, the Quran says flat out, okay, it, it says things that infidels, okay, are Christians and Jews, and it names them. Yeah, right. And to be an infidel... I mean, that's the English word. Really, the Arabic word is a kafir, which is much worse. It's basically to, to make someone's blood, you know, uh, available to be killed at any time. You know, he's an, he's an enemy, but basically. So yeah. the Quran says that the Quran calls on Muslims not to befriend or take as allies Christians and Jews. And then the Quran even says that Muslims must hate and have hatred in their hearts for everyone who's a non-Muslim. And this, and the, and, and the Quran goes on to say, even if it's your family members and your father and mother and siblings and children and wife. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one time I even saw and translated a, an Egyptian cleric saying that while it's true for a Muslim man, he can marry a non-Muslim woman because uh, Islam does allow Muslim men to marry Jews and Christian females. He has to hate her in his heart and show his hatred mm -hmm. while he may enjoy her sexually and for any other reason. Mm -hmm. That's okay. But so that's how ironclad this sort of divisive, um, you know, uh, take is in Islam or the other. And it really comes down to a very tribalistic aspect. Uh, you know, I've, I've defined it before that Islam is Muhammad's genius is that he took tribalism and deified it wow. because he came from a tribal society, 7th century Arabia, yeah. where the other is the enemy and, you know, their blood is free game to be attacked, killed, enslaved, plundered, etc., and then he just guarded it with, you know, the holy talk. So now it's no longer tribes. It's the people of Islam, the ummah, the nation yeah. versus the whole world, which are infidels. Yeah. Um, so, so definitely this applies to Christians. And the reason it really applies to Christians is because another historical fact most Westerners aren't aware of is that most of what we today call the Muslim world was formerly very Christian and was conquered 
and annexed and Islamized over the centuries. And this includes places like Egypt and Syria, which were even more Christian than all of Europe in the 7th century. And of course, North Africa, where you get Augustine of Hippo right. from Tunisia and all the way to Morocco and so forth. And later on with the Turks, Asia Minor was one of the oldest Christian regions. So we forget that all of really the, the heart of the Muslim world was a Christian region. That's why you still have a lot of residual Christianity still there. For example, the Coptic Christians in Egypt and right. the Assyrians in Syria and Iraq and so forth. So that's why they, they sort of, you know, stick out and get attacked um, because there is still the infidels who are still there and need to be subjugated and put in their place. Why has a lot of the Christian world, uh, you know, roughly in the Middle East, I understand it gets down into Africa too, which were largely or more Christian than Muslim, why have Christians kind of lost ground or seceded ground in those areas over, over like time? Like, you mean the, the countries I mentioned, like Egypt and Syria and Turkey? Correct. And even Libya, right? I mean, Libya was pretty yeah, Christianized. Yeah. All of it, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it, it has to do with the historic jihad, and that's really the topic of um, my penultimate book, the one before this last one, which is called Sword and Scimitar, 14 Centuries of War Between Islam and the West. Right. And basically, I chronologically show you how from chapter one starts with the year 636 in the first major battle, right. and we fast forward to the last chapter, which deals with the year 1683, so over a millennium, yeah. and it's now the Siege of Vienna. And well after it, the first war of, you know, with America, the Barbary Wars in the 1800s and 1815, mm -hmm. was always Muslims preaching the same sorts of things that the Islamic State says, and which we're told is not Islamic, but it's there from, you know, day one. So, yes, those were very Christian nations, but the massive jihad blew up on them, mm -hmm. and piecemeal, they just got conquered. You know, created yeah. first Syria, and then Egypt, um, you know, around 636, and then 640 Egypt, and then by almost... By early 700, they were in Morocco, around 709. Now you have all North Africa. And then two years after that, they're in Spain. Yeah, right. And they conquered Spain. And then 20 years after that, in 732, they're in the heart of Europe. They're at the, you have the Battle of Tours right. uh, against the Franks. So it was a very rapid conquest and uh, consolidation um, of, like I said, if you look at the map, it's more than two-thirds of what was once Christendom right. was actually conquered and Islamized by Muslims. Goodness. So it seems like, I got one follow-up question yeah. to this. It seems like, though, when you hear the word Inquisition, you hear that the Christians were the problem in the Inquisition. You know, the Christian, this, the Christian Inquisitions, the Christians were the violent ones. How did that narrative get flipped? Or, or did it get flipped? Or, or how, how did the memory loss happen there? It's part of what I, we started talking about with, you know, the... Let's put it this way, you know, fake news. I think Trump's the one that coined that very nice term. Yeah. So you've had fake, a lot of things before fake news. And one of them was fake history. And, but they all worked for the same exact end, which is sort of to disassociate the modern West from its historical past, make modern day Christians denounce their heritage and want no, nothing to do with them by seeing them as evil without really understanding what was really going on. So the Inquisition in its origins Okay, is, you know, I just mentioned Spain. So Spain, of course, you had a lot of Christians who were conquered by Muslims after the 8th century conquest in 711. Um, and you also had some Jews living there. But then you had what's called the Reconquista, the Reconquest, where the Christians who were holed up in the north started reconquering and reclaiming Spain. And this went on for centuries until they actually prevailed. And basically all of Spain was under Christian authority. But you still had a lot of Muslims. Okay, and in Granada alone, it was something like half a million. 
And what they did is, you know, the Christians first gave them freedom of religion, but they had to, you know, maintain respect for the law. That didn't work. There were riots. There were uprisings whenever there were attacks on Christians, plundering and raping, you know, Christian women, etc. So the, the Spanish crown finally came with a solution, basically saying you have to either become a Christian or leave. Okay. And the idea, it's now portrayed as, oh, they're just fanatical Christians and they want to force everyone to be like them. No, the idea was that if you become a Christian, you're obviously going to, this hatred you have for us is going to dissipate, obviously, at least one or two generations down the line. Right. And then a fatwa appeared, an Islamic decree saying, and this is a whole doctrine, it's called Fakaya, but it basically told all the Muslims in Spain, you can actually uh, get baptized and become Christians and have communion and do it all, but maintain the Islam in your heart. And if you do that, you're, you're fine. <laughs> and half a million Muslims did that. They all supposedly converted. They, wow. you know, communion, went to church, confession, you know, send their children to the equivalent of Sunday school, et cetera, et cetera. But even a hundred and more than that years later, and there's records of Christians complaining, saying these people were better Christians than us, but at home, we're still subverting the nation. We're Muslims in their heart. We're doing the whole jihad thing. We're allying with the Ottomans, trying to overthrow, wow. et cetera, et cetera. And that's actually the origins of the Inquisition, to find out who was really a true Muslim or not. Yeah. And, and also the Jews, because they also were conflated with the Muslims, and oftentimes they aided the Muslims, other times with the Christians. So it was kind of a mess. But, it, you know, the final word on this, if you, if you really, I'm not an expert on this topic, but if you just go out and search on the Internet for Thomas Madden, and he's a historian, a Crusades historian, he actually has a few really good articles. Also, uh, um, also uh, anyway, Thomas Madden, and he just put Inquisition. He has really good articles show, based on the most recent, um, you know, uh, uh, the most recent literature on it. And a, a lot of the archives of the Inquisitions have actually been made available. And now it comes out, it was actually a measure to save people, not to kill them. Yeah. But again, like I said, when I was talking about, you know, fake history, all that is ignored, not even, not even you know, debated and just suppressed. And what we have is in mind is kind of like the Monty Python version right. of what the Inquisition is. And, um, mm. and that's it. Case is closed. And if you say anything else, you know, you're, you're obviously a liar. Um, but the evidence is there. So once again, my point in even bringing up Islam is, you know, a lot of the, va the vicious stuff you see, like the Inquisition, it's a byproduct and it's a reaction to violent Islam and subversion. Right. And you see this all throughout. In, in the recent book, Defenders of the West, I talk about Count Dracula, for example. We know him in the popular mind as, you know, Vlad the Impaler, and he's just a wild, savage maniac. And I remember watching CNN saying that ISIS, the Islamic State, learned their sadistic uh, uh, practices from Count Dracula. <laughs> okay, but then the reality, when you actually study, you find out actually he was a guy in turmoil, surrounded by Muslim jihadists, and he was fighting fire with fire, and he even learned impalement from Muslims. Wow. So the problem with all these narratives, whether it's the Inquisition or you know fanatical, crazy medieval Christians, yeah. what's problem is they always remove the context and you don't understand what, what made them that way, what got them there. And it's usually um, non-Christian forces, um, Islam at the pinnacle of them that are just exerting immense pressure on them. That's really helpful. So I was getting ready to jump into the Crusades when uh, when you asked the question about the Inquisition and I was initially like, where are you going with this, Gabe? Yeah. And like, man, that's like, that's nuts. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. So, you know, similarly, um, the Crusades are spun yeah. as uh, fanatical Christians, you know, um, you know, think you can, some kind of holy war, you know, and yeah. it's, it's, it's completely um, spun. And so I'm, I'm highly, I mean, I've been highly suspicious of this for a long time that it was, there was more to it than that. But so, I mean, 
how, um, you know, I mean, to use something like, you know, Augustine's um, uh, categories of just war, um, you know, that kind of thing. Were the, were the Crusades just wars? Absolutely. They were 100% just wars. And once again, you know, my answer is unwavering in that, you know, whether we're talking about Inquisitions or Vlad the Impaler or the Crusades, again, they're not giving you the background. So right before the Crusades, well, way before the Crusades, as I told you, three quarters of Christendom was conquered by Muslims, all right, right. all the way into Spain and so forth. And Latin-speaking Christians understood and knew this and still suffered. In the ninth century, Rome was sacked by Muslim invaders. A few people know about that. Uh. So that was always known. And in the year 1009, the Holy Sepulchre, the holiest church for Christians of the time, was actually completely destroyed by the Egyptian caliph. So there was no you know, love lost even before the Crusades. Mm. But then in the few decades before the First Crusade, which officially starts around 1095, you had the Turks, who are now the standard bearers of Islam and Jihad, and of course they're the Muslims, and they completely ransack Asia Minor, totally devastate the Armenians. We hear about the Armenian Genocide. It's actually a millennium old. It's a thousand years older than we thought. And the records talk about tens of thousands of Armenians burned alive, torched, enslaved. Mm. Thousands of one, one, one city, Ani, had a thousand churches all burned and destroyed. Same thing all throughout Asia Minor with the Greek-speaking and Greek population went on. And that was the origins of the crusade. And, and, and the Turks were also attacking uh, European pilgrims going to the Holy Sepulchre and the Holy Land. Yeah. And, you know, really appalling uh, atrocities that are, and they're, they're still recorded. One, one includes the gang rape of a nun, for example, mm. mentioned one of these books. Uh, so that's what you're not told. Yeah. Okay. That mm. that's what evoked the Christians to go there. But you get people like John Esposito, a professor at Georgetown university where I went and he says things and Karen Armstrong and these, and they, they basically present it like everything was fine and hunky dory until 1095 when these evil Catholics decided to go and, right. you know, just, and yeah. colonize the Middle East. So once again, the all-important context is missing. And uh, But as far as just wars, yes, they were, because, again, remember, the Holy Land and Egypt and Syria, all these were Christian lands. And the Crusaders understood that and their predecessors, and they were now, they, they saw it as Jerusalem was under Muslim occupation, for example, because in the, it, Jerusalem was a Christian city, um, you know, since the destruction of the Jewish temple right. uh, in the, you know, 70 AD and thereafter, and the Jews are expelled by the, the pagan Romans, not Christian Romans. And then with Constantine in the early 300s, Jerusalem, of course, is Christian city, etc. So that goes on for centuries until 637 or so when it gets conquered. So by 1095, this memory is still alive. This is still a Christian region. There's still Christians there who are oppressed, as I mentioned. And it's a just war because a just war is one of the one of the definitions or criterion for a just war is to defend or liberate um, occupied territory and to defend your own people. Yeah. So, so, in that sense, yeah. so how do you like analyze and see? Let's talk, kind of bring this home to America in our current context. How do you analyze and see? You know, places like Dearborn, Michigan, and kind of the current um, Islamic you know, growth here in our country. Yeah, look, Islam is Islam. <laughs> and, and, you know, this is, I don't even think what I'm saying is offensive to the average Muslim. And I've had these talks with them because they understand what I'm saying. Islam is inherently hostile to the other. Okay. Now, well, what, whether that means they're going to kill you or not is, you know, <laughs> depends on certain classifications and definitions. But Islam, as I mentioned in those Quran verses, is not to, your Muslims are not to be friendly with non-Muslims. They're not to assimilate with non-Muslims. They're not to, 
like them. So how is the introduction of Islam in a non-Muslim country, so let's say America, how is that a good thing? You know, it's you're creating basically, and this is why in Europe where you have more Muslims, you have this situation where there's ghettos, essentially Islamic ghettos, right. and they're little enclaves, okay, of where only Muslims live and only Arabic is spoken, and even the police don't want to go there, and they're scared. So that's not obviously a very healthy thing for a nation. The, the ideal for a nation is that mm -hmm. people are melting pot in the sense that they all at least share common values. But in Islam, it has its own specific values, which, I, like I said, are very divisive against the other. Um, and they obviously, they're tribalistic. You know, we hear about tribal politics. Well, Islam is the ultimate in tribalism. You know, it's us against you, and yeah. unless you become part of our team, yeah, right. you know, you're our enemy. Even though, again, there's all these doctrines, like I mentioned, that allow Muslims to smile in the face of the non-Muslim and to pretend to be their friends, like I mentioned in Spain, uh, you know, before the Inquisition. So it's it's very problematic in that sense. Sales Nexus is the platform the Fight Laugh Feast uses to manage all of our subscribers and email updates. If you're using MailChimp, HubSpot, or Salesforce for email marketing, CRM, and sales, you probably know they've been canceling voices of freedom and truth. That's why we switched to Sales Nexus. Sales Nexus is a complete business marketing and sales solution that won't tell you what you should say or what you should believe. For more information, visit salesnexus.com. That's salesnexus.com. Dot com. Um, Raymond, that's really, really helpful. Um, and, and I'm uh, maybe I, I know before we got on, um, you said you, know, you didn't have a lot to say about the current conflict going on in Israel and Palestine. But I wonder if maybe just more broadly, um, given your understanding of um, Islamic culture and the conflict between Christians and Muslims and Jews, are there any things like just broadly speaking that you think um, Christians need to know? even to come to the conversation. So maybe not, you know, an evaluation of exactly what's going on this minute, but are there any big picture things that you think if you're, a, if you're a Christian living in 2023, you need to understand this about the middle East. Well, yeah. You know, the first part is, you know, what a Christian should really understand when it comes to the topic of Islam in general. And I think that's very important because we have what's this popular sort of ecumenical, mood where you get people like pope francis and all sorts all the denominations christian denominations you have these sorts who want to convince christians that islam is just another of the so-called abrahamic religions and you know muslims love jesus and you know he's in the quran and he's a prophet and and this is somehow supposed to create some kind of reproachment and a bridge etc etc and yet once again it's not that that's a lie but rather what's held back so for example it's true um, you know, according to the Quran, Islamic belief, Jesus is a prophet. He's actually born of a virgin. He did uh, perform miracles um, and, you know, a lot of good stuff. I mean, obviously, this is that that would make Islam the closest to Christianity of every religion, if you think of it in that sense. But they don't tell you is they don't believe he was crucified. They don't believe he was res resurrected. Right. Okay. And that's the whole message of the gospel. Right. So right. you see how in a very insidious way, on the one hand, it sort of gives and then when it comes to what really counts, it kind of takes away and um, denies it vehemently. So I think um, that's one thing to understand. As far as as far as to the broader you know question of the Middle East, which I, I mean I think uh, you know we can talk about the war or just the Middle East and the world in general. Um, so the Middle East, what you're saying today is just inevitable. It is according to Islamic teaching, once an area is conquered, they don't use the word conquer; they, it's called an opening. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, because they opened it to the light of Islam. So it's a good thing. It's a kind of a euphemism. Right. But once an area is conquered by Islam, it becomes part of Islam for eternity. And anyone, doesn't matter who's living there or takes over, has to be warred against. So in that sense, Israel, there's there can never be peace at all between Islam and Israel. Because what, and it's, you know, sometimes people nitpick and say, oh, it's the settlements that's a problem. No, in the eyes of Islam, the, the earliest, smallest border of Israel from whatever, 1947, is still anathema and must be destroyed. So when you get a group like Hamas or Hezbollah who, you know, vow unending enmity towards Israel and you right. know, are not the dialogue or debate or concessions or anything, well, yeah, that's, that's Islam. That's a complete reflection of Islam. Um, so that's for the Middle East. But as far as the world, and we sort of touched on it, um, you know, you have so many Muslims now in Europe, especially Western Europe, and, you know, yeah. a lot of them are not assimilating. And again, that's not a good thing. I hear, I, I hear Sweden is in shambles because it has a very large Muslim population and it's getting, it's getting, it's really, really bad. I mean, people are afraid to walk in the streets and, and so forth. And again, it's, this isn't, to me, it's not a racial thing. It's an ideological thing. You're yeah, bringing in people right. whose mindset is that you're the enemy and it's my job to conquer you and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So well, it's, I think these are the main big picture points to keep in mind. Really helpful. Yeah. That is incredibly helpful. Raymond. Ibrahim, uh, go check out his latest book, Defenders of the West, The Christian Heroes Who Stood Against Islam. And he traces that back far for centuries. Really, yeah. really, and really interesting. Raymond, where can people follow your work? Is there a website or um, social media stuff where you're doing stuff? Yeah, the best place is just my website, which is RaymondIbrahim.com. So Raymond, I-B-R-A-H-I-M.com. And it has all my articles, all my links to my books, That's links to my social media as well. Um, so it's probably the best one place stop and you can also subscribe to uh, my newsletter thank you That's thank you awesome really appreciate your time Raymond thank yeah. you for coming on Cross Politic if you're single get married if you're married have kids if you have kids go baptize them until next time go love the Lord God with all your heart soul mind and strength of your neighbors yourself go fight laugh and feast and Knox get home this is Cross Politic 75% of people think real estate agents aren't very trustworthy the only way to change that perception is to change the reality. If you're looking for a career where integrity matters and you can guide others through tough, high stakes decisions, come join us at Story Real Estate and help drive that 75% down to zero. I'm Chris, the owner and founder. Let's see if we have a career you'll love.